whoever is listening, however you are listening, welcome back. My name is Grayson Mann. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 36. 36, that's just insane. Today is a great Wednesday afternoon, wherever you're listening or whenever you're listening to this podcast. I hope you're having a great day. As always, thank you guys so much for the support. You continue to pour on the show. It's unbelievable. It's insane. It's all the adjectives you want to throw in there that mean good things. We are on Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe if you enjoy. Leave us a five-star review and let us know that you enjoy the show or just simply follow us and keep up with the episodes. It helps. Anything helps. You guys are great. Let's just recap because I felt like I've been all over the place these last couple days. I was helping in Georgia this weekend move my sister and her fiance. Guys, congratulations on the move. The house is fantastic. I cannot wait to see what you guys do with your talents and success. It's going to be a great thing. Congrats, as always. And shout out to the guys at James Island last night. First Baptist, 7-on-7, Pinewood Prep Football. Always makes their mark. They were balling out last night. I was so happy to be there. It feels kind of weird because I'm not a player, but I'm also like, I'm not enough removed to where it's kind of like, ooh, I'm old bones. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I would love to get out there and put on a helmet. And then I realized I'm definitely out of shape, so we'll worry about that later. So today, we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs. It's going to be more of a basketball-centric podcast, especially since we have a special story at the end. So let's just run through our little slate today. We're going to talk about the bombshells that dropped this morning while I was working youth camp. Chris Paul and Kawhi Leonard, what it means, and the more information that I've seen, it makes me feel worse. (laughs) The Kevin Durant game last night, he is insane. We're going to go through his career and what it personally for me has meant and why I think Durant has done a great thing for himself and why I think the controversy is probably on its way out. We're going to talk about Tua, five picks at minicamp and why that really is not good news for Miami. Of course, five interceptions isn't good at all. We're going to talk about a story. It involves Joel Embiid, but I'm not going to tell you where or when, but it's funny and it's actually kind of awkward. It makes me feel weird, but I do have a picture and I will show you guys. I will edit if you're watching on YouTube, you will see the picture that we get with Joel Embiid, but you got to figure out how we got there, so stick to the end. Let's get into the NBA playoffs. What have I seen? I've been all over the place, so it's kind of like what games I could miss, what games I could get to and watch. It would be a first half, and then I have to like pass out on the couch or whatever, but what I've really seen is dominance. I've seen great games. I've seen pretty much all of it, especially since LeBron has left the playoffs. It just felt like the NBA is wide open. Like, almost anybody could win. I said before it started, my dream, my dream NBA Finals was Chris Paul with the Suns. Well, that's not looking good anymore, is it? Chris Paul and the Suns make it out of the West and take down LeBron and the big guys, the defending champs and the Lakers. And then on the East, I wanted to see Joel Embiid or Giannis make it out of the East. That also does not look as good anymore. (laughs) Man, my predictions just looked good. They looked great. That's what's so strange about the NBA is that there's so many games in the playoffs you can have different, and I've seen this with analysts, and I guess I'm guilty of this too, is I've had so many different opinions in the last two weeks. One game, I think that the Nets are going to be the super unstoppable team, and then two days later, I'm like, well, I don't know if they can really do it. I don't know if Durant can carry it. It's really crazy. Ooh, the Clippers, they don't look really good now. Oh my gosh, the Clippers look fantastic. Let's all praise them and celebrate them. It's been crazy. Utah looked insane. I actually really like Utah's stadium layout because they've got the shirts they got the orange, and they got the yellow, and I'm like, ooh, I, I kind of want to be there. And even if there's not a guy there or a fan, it makes it look like the stadium's full, and that just makes my heart so happy. 
and me as a fan watching from home makes me feel really good about we're back we're back to normal and then what happened today i was like oh i made i was so mad and i was so sad too because if you haven't seen chris paul has tested positive for covid19 despite the vaccination which is just another whole thing we're not gonna get into it nope i will not do it and then and he got vaccinated in february so he's been vaccinated for a long time and he's got the he's got the covid protocols i was like what I woke up and I was like, wait a second, that, that's not, that, we were past this. And then he gets the sickness, he gets the disease, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to invoke any opinion, so you can't get that out of me. But Chris Paul's tested positive for COVID-19. What that means for the Suns, can the Suns carry their team without Chris Paul? Can What they really should be hoping for is that the Utah Clippers series goes the distance, which is looking more unlikely now because Kawhi Leonard, if you haven't seen what initially is believed to be a knee sprain is now believed to be an ACL injury. What significance is that ACL injury? Before I checked on Twitter and it was 16 minutes before, like 16 minutes to now of when I'm recording this, it said that it was believed to be an ACL injury. I do not know the significance. If it's a tear, then he's probably done and the Clippers are probably done. Even if they were to beat the Jazz, it'd be a rough going with just Paul George, Pandemic P, as you guys like to call him. Has he redeemed himself? Would this be his ultimate? Because like the players go through an arc. Because in Indiana, Paul George was insane. He was so athletic. He was a great scorer. Almost took down LeBron twice when he was on Miami. And now he's kind of gone through the motions. He was at OKC. He's now in the Clippers trying to find himself again. He might have done it. And maybe he just needed a series where he can carry himself and get himself over that hump. I would hope. I would love to see that. Him just personally put the team on his back. Put the team absolutely into the places they've never been because the Clippers have been a franchise that's been cursed. Unlucky. I've seen some videos that are like, the Clippers are cursed. The Clippers are this and that. And I'm like, kind of believe it. If you look at, it's a video by Mike Korsemba. If you've ever watched him, he is a basketball YouTuber and he did this whole 25 minute thing on why the Clippers are cursed. It was pretty good. It was well informed, well researched. And I'm getting off into the stratosphere of distracted. But it was really like weird because like, it's kept up because they've done all the stuff, the Donald Sterling things, the injuries. It's a really bad track record, and you're like, ooh, I kind of feel bad. So that's what the Clippers and the Suns situations are. Well, I think, now that I think that the, the Nets are looking like they're going to get out of that series with Milwaukee, you should have seen my opinion on Sunday. I thought the Nets were toast. I thought with Kyrie out and Harden out that it wasn't going to happen and that there was going to be another team and that the NBA Finals was even more wide open, which is what has made this playoff thing so enjoyable is that it feels like nobody has it. It feels like it's all contained. It's all in one central place. It feels really good. It feels really good to know that like there's not a champion to be determined. There's no LeBron obvious pick. There's no Golden State super team. I mean, it was with the Nets for a while. That'd be the popular pick. But there was like, yeah, if a certain team matches up against the Nets in the finals, you could challenge them. So that's really nice to know. So I really want to get into Durant. And I really want to start at the beginning in Oklahoma City because Durant always has been this guy to me. Before Golden State, he was quiet. He was a guy that was just a quiet, got his stuff done. He scored, had great chemistry with his teammates. He was a guy that you really wanted to have on your team. The Slim Reaper, as they called him. Oklahoma City and Kevin Durant had a unique relationship. They were a team that was almost there multiple times, but never could really get over that hump. And... In that last season where Durant started to make friends with Draymond Green and Russell Westbrook, the tension, the rumors, nothing lasts forever in the NBA, especially the NBA, to me, has always been the pool of the biggest egos and the biggest personalities. 
take that as a good thing and take that as a bad thing. Sometimes it's a negative aspect and sometimes it's a positive aspect. But I think Durant fit right in the middle. He was never too outspoken, but he was always there when you needed him. And then you get to Golden State and you take a guy that's never really been the villain of the NBA and forms that super team. It made it even worse when you were the team that blew a 3-1 lead in the Western Conference Finals. And I remember being in Hawaii for that specific series, thinking that OKC had it on multiple occasions and they blew it right before my eyes. I was like, wow. I'll never see that again. I was proven wrong two weeks later with the Cavs. But with Durant, it was like, if you can't beat them, join them. And I think, especially with me, I was like, I can't respect Durant. I had no no real ambition to root for him. When he was in OKC, I was really behind it. And when he got to Golden State, it was like, I can't wait for somebody to beat him. And LeBron became that hero. He became that guy that I wanted to take him down because Durant was the guy that took the easy way out for two championships, and I didn't really have any respect for him. And I think that's really bad to say on a podcast where I'm kind of small. Durant, if you're listening, I'm about to compliment you, so please don't click off or tweet me on your burner accounts. Well, it's all a whole big thing with Durant and the burner accounts and the stuff and the controversy. It felt like a mess, and when he went to Golden State, he really played well. He won two championships, so he went and did what he wanted to do. He got his rings, he got that monkey off his back, And then he joins the Nets, and it was just for a time, Kyrie and KD, they were forming their little duo, they were going to make some noise in the East, potentially make a finals run, and you're like, okay, Durant's doing this on, oh my god, James Harden out of nowhere. And then you think, super team, and you think, here we go again, Durant cannot win without the super team, all the hot takes that you could throw out there, Durant can't do this, Durant can't do that, Durantula, you've messed up once again, because James Harden, Kyrie, and Durant on the same court, on the same team? This isn't the All-Star game, is it? I mean, you you would think that they were playing on, like, Team LeBron. It was, oh, oh my gosh, I was so upset. I was big Celtics guy, and my team can't possibly compete with that kind of squad. And so Durant, they go through the motions of the season. They go through dominating as they can. Injuries were a factor, and I guess we should have seen this coming, is that somebody eventually was going to go down. Because it's just... Harden and Kyrie have always been reliable and at the same time unreliable. You can point to Harden quitting out of Houston, Kyrie forcing his way out of Boston. They all form this big team. And then Brooklyn adds like LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Mike James from Europe, who's one of the better Europe players I come to realize. Landry Shamit was on the team. There's so many great pieces built around this net squad. And I was not looking forward to the playoffs. And then Harden goes down, the Nets look a little mortal, they look a little human, and they play this game five, so to set the stage for this, I've been doing it for like the last two minutes, five minutes, however long these segments lasted, that Durant had to be the guy, because Kyrie goes down in game four with an angle sprain, we don't know how long he's going to be, Harden is back, but it was very evident early on, and this is one of the rare games that I actually got to watch from start to finish and really take it all in for what it was, and Harden looked really really bad. Like, it was a shell of his former self. He couldn't really drive that well. He wasn't very reliable on defense. It was very odd. But you know what Durant did? And a lot of the media, and of course myself, because I have to play my part in my little small community, I was like, it's my turn too. So I, of course, was like, you know what? I think this is a legacy game for Durant. Of course, a bunch of people too were saying that. It's not just me. Saying that Durant needed to do this to prove himself. He needed to finally be the man when no one else could step up for him 
And it was a really powerful thing because also he was snubbed from the All-NBA team, posting 27 points a game. I know he was hurt and missed some time, and I don't know how much that factors in the All-NBA process. But it was Durant's game to lose. Despite the two rings, not many people will say that it was him himself that earned it because it was Curry, Thompson, Draymond Green. And so for Game 5, equally as much of a legacy game for Giannis, the Bucks were seizing the moment. They said, this is the time to prowl in the nets. And for a majority of the game, it looked like Durant was doing all he could if he just didn't have the pieces. So a lot of people, you start tweeting, you start typing your hot takes and stuff. And slowly but surely, the Nets started to inch their way back. And I would told my brother, we were watching the game, I said, the Bucks could be up 20 right now, and I'm not comfortable. Because Durant's on the other side. They could score in an instant, go on a little run. The Bucks aren't really a team that gets electric at points because Giannis is a very jaggedy player. He plays with such an edge. And I forget how smooth the Nets play. The smoothness of Durant scoring and playing. It's such a really fascinating thing to watch. I remember when my dad joined us for the end of the third and the start of the fourth, he said, this is, reminds me of watching Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. Such a smooth game, really just willing himself to win, saying, there's no way I'm going to lose. 49 points, I think 15 rebounds and 11 assists were the stat line. Correct me if I'm wrong in the comments. It'll, we'll have a discussion about it. But it was very Jordan-esque. It was very willing his way. Something LeBron had to do with the Cavs in 2018 was just will his team to win. I was very impressed. I was... The entire night in disbelief, thinking, because this is the Durant that's supposed to be this weaker character, not a guy that was really willing to step it up. It was very impressive. I was very happy. I, I want to say that respect came back, and I think for a lot of people, we're either reminded of how good he was, and I'll put myself in that pool, or just how unbelievably talented he was. Because you could be a guy on the East Coast that doesn't watch a lot of NBA, and because he was on the Golden State Warriors for a while... A lot of their games were later on at night, so you weren't really watching him unless they were in the playoffs, and then a lot of people were turned off because the result was already really decided with Durant on that team. I think for me, I found myself respecting Kevin Durant more than I ever have because you put yourself on that team, a super team, and then you put yourself on the team on your back and really carry yourself. He played every minute. He didn't look. He didn't appear to be like, well, this is all on me now. I got to just take care of it. He was very humble, well-spoken in his press conference. And this is not just a Kevin Durant compliment show because I really, really didn't like him at a point in time. I was not a Kevin Durant guy. Last night changed that for me. I think for a lot of people, it was realizing how much of a star he is and how much he of a scorer he is he can take over. There's not much else to say, but legacy for Durant, I guess you can always point to this game five where it was like, hey, he, if the Nets end up winning the finals, he is the one that saved that season because you could argue a demoralized Nets squad after getting beaten at home would have lost game six. And it's looking like Milwaukee's going to lose game six. That was demoralizing. And if you're on the Bucks, oof, that was a choke jog of a lifetime. You were up double digits the majority of the game. And I think Giannis did all he could. It's just there's not many pieces around him to really complement his game. But overall, I just wanted to put that out there with Durant. I know this is normally not a basketball podcast, and I want to make another thing. I want to say I'm not an expert on basketball. We can comment, we can have a debate, but I'm not going to probably win or really convince you. But I wanted to get my two cents on it, especially when football has been kind of a rarity in these times, and it's the NBA playoffs. I like to talk about what's relevant, but we will always, in first and foremost, be a football podcast. I feel like I have to remind myself that as much as you guys. But when I return, we're going to talk about Tua, and then we're going to go back 
it's not really basketball, but it's more of a funny story because I want to give you guys a little insight on my celebrity meetup experience because this is like one of the few celebrities that I've met in my life and one that I've actually only gotten a picture with. So when I return, we will be talking about that. My name is Grayson Mann. This is the Man with Plan Podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Man with Plan Podcast, episode 36. Again, 36 episodes. Crazy. I want to get into Tua Tagovailoa's practice yesterday. And I don't want to sound like I'm overreacting, but at the same time, I really want to dive into, like, the Dolphins as a whole. Because with Tua, he threw five picks at minicamp yesterday. Let's just get that out of the way. Brian Flores came out and said he wants Tua to be more aggressive because, obviously, the interceptions don't count. They don't really mean anything, so we want some to just go out there and try to be more aggressive. But at the same time, part of me can't help but what five turnovers do to a QB in a minicamp practice. Especially one, Tua all year has faced controversy. And not in like the controversy where he's a bad dude, but the Dolphins last year. We said on an early edition of the podcast that I didn't like the way that Brian Flores was flip-flopping QBs like he would change his shirt throughout the, the week or something. And that really rattled to his confidence in my mind. And something that I felt was really important was the Dolphins establish a guy, establish a QB that is going to be the one that takes all the snaps. Not that ruins a receiver's chemistry, a lineman's understanding of what the QB likes and doesn't like in terms of strengths and protections. And the Dolphins were in a unique spot because they have a really good roster around them. They've got Tua, who's apparent. They're, they're, it was going to be their apparent franchise savior. They're in an awkward spot because they have a QB that's kind of struggling. He's been in and out of the rotation, and now you have to put all your faith in him, all your chips into that one bag. And it's a division that normally is the Patriots' battering ram, where they just get six wins every year with the occasional Miami miracle or mess-up. And now it's a division that feels more balanced. Buffalo is a great team. New England is a team that's going to get better. The Jets have hope. The Dolphins were really primed to win the division if Tua or Ryan Fitzpatrick was consistent and played well. They were built for success, a team that was going to get better. And then you have this, we're going to sit with Tua, we're going to stick with him, we're going to make sure he's our guy and he knows it. And then he throws five picks at minicamp. If you really, to me it was always this, if you're struggling without pads and it's really all on air, the defense really isn't supposed to be doing as well, they're supposed to get their adjustments later on in the season, it's not a good look, and this isn't going to be a negative Nelly because I think part of me doesn't want to overreact and say, oh, it's just one practice. I mean, overall, the, the real topic is minicamp QBs, minicamp in general, why we're overreacting to so many things because we've done this thing with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. Jordan Love had a bad practice. We overreacted. He had a really good one, and we went, oh, okay. Mac Jones kind of struggled a little bit, but now he's starting to pick up some steam. It's just a really a cycle with these QBs. They gotta have some time. It's not gonna pan out for everybody, but I think you gotta give some of these guys some more time, give them a little more pressure to relieve that stress of being the new QB of a franchise. Because with Tua, it's I'm trying to be the new QB of this franchise, but we've also got a bearded man who is taking all my snaps in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you're like, what do I do? I don't know. How do I fit? How, what's my role on the team? And now he's the guy. He's having to learn how to be the guy. While at the same time, he's having to learn how to be a starting, consistently starting QB in the NFL. 
it's a mess with Dolphins right with the Dolphins right now. They're a good team. They're going to win a lot of games, but can Tua be that guy that puts them over the edge? It's not like a whole fledged full fledged topic. And if we want to get into more minicamp storylines in future podcasts, let me know. But I just wanted to quickly dabble on Tua and really get into what I really wanted to talk to you guys about, which is a story time. So let's talk about the time that me and my friend, if you're listening, Mitchell, ran into a certain man named Joel Embiid in 2018 at the airport. So if you're listening right on YouTube, about right now, you're going to see a picture of me, Mitchell, and my mom in the background going, wow, I can't believe they did it, in a picture with Joel Embiid. And what you'll notice in that picture is that I'm wearing a Boston Celtics jersey. So let me skip back a couple months. So in May of 2018, Boston was on a crazy run with Terry Rozier. Kyrie Irving went down with an injury. So it was this team that, like, it was a team that didn't have a specific star. Tatum wasn't the guy he was yet. Jalen Brown wasn't the guy he was yet. It was a team that had to play like a team and not have a guy that just took over. And they were really good. And Tatum actually ended up going insane in this playoffs. They beat the Sixers 4-1 that year. And we were primed as me and Mitchell were in, Mitchell and I, I'm going to get like grammar policed like crazy. Mitchell and I were juniors at the time, or going into our junior year. And we were a part of the theater program at Pinewood. And we had paid to go to this trip to New York with the, all the drama people. Theater people. Oh, I said that's so weird. So we went to New York for about a couple days. And in New York, there's like so many celebrities, so many stars. You really are just amazed by what you see and what you hear. And this, the atmosphere in New York is so unique. And the Broadway, the stars. I think I'm repeating myself. You get starstruck very easily. There's a lot of great celebrities, a lot of great shows. And we had the opportunity to go to the NBA store. And so Mitchell, he's a big LeBron guy. He'll tell you first and foremost. He bought a throwback LeBron Cavs jersey. And I bought, between Kyrie Irving and Jason Tatum, I wanted to buy a Celtics jersey. I made the right choice. I bought a Tatum one. And I wore it in New York. Probably not the smartest move by me, where Boston and New York kind of these two spheres. There's the rivalries. And so some guy did say, hey, you're kind of being stupid by now <laughs> you need to put that away and I was like yo I'm I'm feeling invincible today so let me wear my Celtics stuff and I was wearing a Patriots hat so you can imagine the dislike between me and probably fellow New Yorkers so we leave for the trip that day and it was the most unsuspecting thing like I was not aware that Embiid was in New York I don't even know where we were gosh I'm getting sidetracked but so it's me my my theater teacher, Miss Horn, if she's listening, I hope you <laughs> appreciate this story as much as I do, and my mom were eating lunch before we get on our flight, and I get a call from Mitchell, and I only say this is relevant, I am not just throwing at the story just to throw it to y'all, because Joel Embiid is in a playoff run, I just want to preface that, so I get a call from Mitchell, and he's like, dude, 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 and I'm like, what, what, I'm like, dude, you gotta calm down, and Mitchell goes, you'll never guess who's at the airport who just walked out. And I go, well, who? And he goes, Joel Embiid. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, start, you start to freak out. You start to hyperventilate. You feel like you're at a concert and the Jonas Brothers just walked out. You're like a, you're like a kid all over again. It's crazy. And I go, really? So immediately I go, hey, I'm going to go check this out. And I left my mom and Miss Horn kind of rudely at, at lunch to go figure this out. And I get over there. And there's these security guys and then this the hulking figure of Joel Embiid. So I'm like looking up at this just 
enormous dude. Not like he's fat or anything, but he's so tall. Joel Embiid, if you ever listen to this, shout out to you for uh, in the end. So Mitchell and I are in a corner, and we're like giggling, and he can clearly see that we're like pointing at him. And some other kid just blindly went up to him and was like, hey, let me get your picture or autograph. I don't know what he got. And I was like, what? I did not know what to do. I was in this very awkward state of, do I go up to him? And then I realized, well, this is the thing. Joel Embiid is three weeks removed from being eliminated by the team that I'm currently wearing. Is it smart of me to go up there and be like, hey, Mr. Embiid, I'm a big fan. And then he's going to be like, well, that's BS because you're a Celtics fan. I hate you guys. So it was a, I don't know what to do. So I called McGregor to hype me up. McGregor, who people who don't know McGregor is my brother, my twin brother. And he said, dude, don't be a wuss. Go out there and do it. And so we crafted this statement. We're like, all right, we're going to say this exactly. And of course, they leave it to me to be the guy to talk to him because Mitchell couldn't do it. So I had to be the man. I had to step up. And I went up to him and I said, Mr. Embiid, I'm a big, big fan of your game. But can we, uh, and I start rambling a little bit. So Mitchell, shout out to you for saving it. He goes, can we get a picture? Cuts to the chase. And he sees that Mitchell's in a LeBron throwback jersey. I am in a Celtics jersey. And he's like, I'll take the picture if you guys take those off. Mitchell had a shirt under him. I didn't. Luckily in the picture, I'm not shirtless because he was just joking around. But he made me cover it up with my Clemson bag that I had. And it was just the most intimidating moment in my life because I was, his head was literally sitting down at this lunch table to my shoulder. It was insane. And we're smiling. He's just like taking the picture with my phone, just so unimpressed, so unamused. And it's great to look back on because I don't think in any other particular moment I would have the courage to stand up to do it. But it was that rare moment where I was like, oh, I can do this. I got this. And we end up getting a picture with him. And so while you're listening to this on Spotify or on the radio, or in your car, you won't be able to see it, but if you check out the YouTube channel, subscribe, we are close to 100 subscribers, you'll see right now that we have the picture of me and Mitchell with Joel Embiid in the background while you're listening. So that was my crazy story with Joel Embiid, and that wraps up today's podcast, a very unusual podcast because we talked a lot of basketball, not a lot of football, but you guys seem to always enjoy it, I really hope you do. But anyways guys, I hope you enjoyed episode 36 of the Man With The Plan podcast, subscribe for more. And if you enjoy what you listen to, let us know what you want to hear next. My name is Grayson Mann. Have a fantastic week, weekend, whatever it is. I really appreciate you guys. Have a fantastic day. As always, take care. <laughs>